AWRI Decanted, a podcast from the Australian Wine Research Institute, where wine scientists reveal their latest discoveries and how they're being used by grape growers and winemakers. Wines are often described in terms of aroma, particularly white wines, with comparisons made with stone fruits like peach and apricot. What, though, are the elements behind that? And can they be replicated? That's been the focus of research scientist Tracy Siebert's PhD work. To discuss it further, she joins me in the AWRI studio. Tracy, thanks for your time. You're most welcome. Tracy, what is a flavour chemist? We look at, I suppose, what causes or things that are responsible for different flavours, aromas, tastes in things. Our product is wine, but you could be a flavour chemist in any food or beverage. So we we look at what chemical compound that's naturally present in something to give it that aroma and taste. You can also make these aroma compounds in laboratories, in in factories, synthesise them. But in wine, it's all what's naturally present in the grapes or what's produced by the yeast or the bacteria or during storage. So we look at what flavours, what aroma compounds and other things are in wine to give it that taste and flavour. You've got a lot of science to back up your ability there. You finished a doctorate not so long ago. I assume though having a good palate and a good nose must be part of the requirement, wouldn't it? It's not a requirement for my actual job, but it certainly it does help. It's a definitely a benefit. But because our staff um, is quite large, over 100 people, we can also rely on them. And you do often need to do that because aroma compounds and being able to smell something is totally up to your genetics. So what I can smell and taste could be quite different to what you can smell and taste or our sensitivities to things. There's one example I could give, which is um, cork taint, which is a compound that forms uh, in corks with bacteria and chlorine compounds that goes into the wine while it's in the bottle from the cork and it has this musty, horrible, musty odour that depresses the fruit smell of wine. But some people can't smell it at all. Some people can only smell it when it's very strong and some people are very sensitive to it. And there's lots of compounds like that. Uh, so, and we, we use a, a group of people for any project when you're looking for a specific taste or smell because it's better to have five or six people smelling something and they're all going, oh yes, I get that, rather than just one person who may or may not be able to smell or taste it. Your most recent work, and I understand your doctorate, was pretty much tied into trying to work out what are the compounds responsible for stone fruit flavours in white wine. What sets you down that path? Well, I suppose when you're doing a PhD, you need to do something that other people haven't done before. There's a whole lot of research that's been done on different flavours and aromas in wines, and that was one area that hadn't really been definitely confirmed at that point. And also uh, looking at the different wine varieties with that flavour and taste is looking at Chardonnay, which is Australia's biggest white wine produced, the largest amount, with that stone fruit peach aroma is part of its varietal makeup. They, you know, it's something that is looked for when, it, when wine is being tasted and, and judged. So that was a, a good thing to look at. 
The other wines that we chose to initially investigate, um, Viognier, it's a smaller variety in, in Australia and around the world, but it's got a definite apricot varietal aroma. And then we also looked at Botrytized Semillon, which is, again, not a, not a large production, but it's, it's still quite popular in Australia for a Botrytized wine. And that's more like your dried apricot sort of aromas. They're pretty common descriptors, Tracy, in terms of people such as myself when we talk about wine and say, oh yeah, I can taste the peach flavour in there or a little bit of apricot. But your research then is really about, okay, digging behind that. Did you try and distill out exactly what the compounds were that were responsible for those particular stone fruit flavour aromas? Yes, exactly, Drew. That's um, that's what we were after. In previous research that had been done, they'd suggested there were these aroma compounds called gamma-lactones. They're the main aroma compounds in actual fresh stone fruit, in your actual peaches, in your actual apricots, etc. They're the compounds that, that are made for perfume fragrances and things for hair shampoos and things like that. And they actually, you know, make them and put them in. If you smell a jar of that compound, it smells like apricots and coconut. You know, when it's naturally in the food, in the apricots and the peaches, there's quite a lot of it. If you measure that compound in wines, there's only tiny, tiny, very ultra trace levels of it. So I didn't think that it was the group of compounds responsible and thought that there needed to be more looking into that. There's a little bit more of those compounds in the botrytized wines and they probably are giving some of that aroma in the botrytized wines but not in the dry white wines like your Chardonnay, Viognier, etc. So we, we searched out a set of wines to start with. We've had uh, Chardonnay and Viognier and botrytized Semillon, sort of a couple of each that were high in that aroma intensity of stone fruit and it was quite general to start with. We had a small panel that tasted and smelt a lot of wines and we just said stone fruit. We weren't specific on what sort of stone fruit we were after and so we had a couple of low intensity and a couple of high intensity of each variety and we used that as our first starting call. When then doing that we used a technique known as GC sniff and you in, you inject an extract of the wine into that instrument and it's got this very fine very long column it's like 50 meters long say the column or 60 meters long so longer than an Olympic size swimming pool very very tiny inside diameter and it it separates out all the thousands of compounds in that wine extract and at the other end of the column, we sit as the detector, sniffing what's coming out. And hopefully over you know, an, an hour, you smell 100 different aromas. And, and we were hoping to smell peach or apricot, but unfortunately we didn't. So we, looked, we thought that it might be a, a mixture of compounds that was needed and a, and a different approach was going to be needed. It sounds incredibly complex and literally hundreds of compounds that you're working through. That's right. I understand that you found apricot easier to determine than peach. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. So that first GC sniff study didn't exactly tell us what was happening, but it gave us some clues. So we set out to do another larger study, more comprehensive study. It ended up being 18 wines. There was 12 Viognes from Australia and from France. 
and also Chardonnay. And again, we, we got a range. We targeted that stone fruit aroma. So we had a range of high intensity down to low intensity of stone fruit for the Viognier's and the Chardonnay's. And then we put that to a full descriptive sensory study. And that means that a panel of about 12, and these are people that we, we actually employ. They're highly trained, but they're just regular people. They're not scientists. And they were able to separate out the aroma of apricot to fresh white peach, which really helped us immensely. And then they tasted all the wines blind. They don't know what they're tasting. They come up with all the descriptors. And they have a set number then of descriptors that they use for each wine. And they rate all the wines on those aromas and also on the palate. So then we had um, a very good separation of the wines just purely on their aromas and the Viognier's definitely were more apricot and the Chardonnay seemed to be more peach although the Viognier's still also had peach some of them so that was great and then we did a huge amount of chemical analysis on those wines so all those aroma compounds that we could smell before on the GC sniff we then measured them precisely to know exactly how much of those compounds. Um, we did about uh, over 100 compounds plus all the standard sort of wine measurements that they do in a, so alcohol and the acid levels, the pH, etc. were all done as well. And then we put all of that information, which was a lot of information, into this crazy statistics package and it related certain compounds to those aromas. So it could tell us which wines, which were high in apricot aroma and were also high in these particular compounds. And then wines that were high in peach were high in another set of compounds. So Tracy, it sounds like an incredibly complex egg to unscramble to use a, a cliche like that. But well, you, yes. you... well the, the, actually the uh, statistical package is called unscrambler. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, it sounds entirely appropriate. Yes. Uh, so are you at the point now that you've identified those compounds and you can say, well, if you use a, these combination of X compounds, then you can recreate an apricot aroma flavor element in your wine well yes except of course we don't add anything into wine but what we did is exactly what you're saying is uh, we then used all of those compounds that we can purchase or we've synthesized ourselves in that exact mixture in the concentrations that we'd measured in the wines if you mix that all back together with in a model wine we call it so it's a something made up with water and ethanol and the acids, the natural fruit acids are in wine, a few other compounds that are naturally in wine, glycerol, etc. And then add in all the aroma compounds and then we did the mixture with high apricot levels and then wines with low apricot levels. We also did the peach and we presented that to a bench tasting panel. It's Again, it's blind, they're just given a code on the glass and they all agreed that the apricot was definitely reminiscent of the high apricot Viognier wine. Uh, the peach one at that point wasn't as convincing, so we didn't go any further with that one, but we went ahead with the apricot one and then did the same sort of testing with the descriptive study panel like we did with the wines initially. So with the unscrambler, the compounds that the, the statistics package predicted were important. There were sort of three sets of compounds of different 
chemical types and so we put them into the model wine in sort of different mixtures with and without each other and then put all those wines to the sensory panel. Uh, so they confirmed that these compounds called monoterpene alcohols were the most important to have apricot aroma in your wine. So if you've got a, a wine that's high in this particular mixture, then your wine is very likely to have that apricot aroma. Tracy, you pointed out that you don't add things back into wine, but that's ha- right. how then, though, do winemakers take this research and apply it in a way to maximise the aroma of their wines? Yes. Well, that's really why we do this research, is also to work out where these compounds come from. So once we identify which compounds are responsible for whatever aroma that we're looking for, we can then work out where they come from in the wine process. So for these particular monoterpene alcohols, they're made by the grape. So they are actually in the grape. They're in the grape, though, as they're connected to a sugar molecule. Because if you think of grapes, how sweet they are. There's lots of sugars in there. And these compounds are connected chemically to sugar molecules. And during the winemaking process, they fall apart. And then you can smell that and taste that aroma compound. The monoterpene alcohol comes away from the sugar. So you can smell it. Whereas in the grapes themselves, it's very hard to taste it. You can taste that they're very fruity and delicious, but specifically apricot, I can't taste it. Uh, One of our head winemakers that we work with, she thinks that she can, and that's great, but I I don't get it, but I'm not an expert in that part of tasting berries. But a lot of it is still connected to these sugar molecules. So then we can look at different things in the vineyard. So are they different clones? So of all the grape varieties that are out there, There's also different clones that are available and so they have slightly different flavour profiles or they might have better ripening characters or they might be more disease resistant. There's a whole pile of different reasons why they might have a different clone. They're still the same species, they're still the same variety but they're just slightly different genetically. And so they produce different amounts of these aroma compounds. And so we've looked at uh, 11 clones all in one vineyard over three seasons, and they had different levels of these monoterpene alcohols. And then also we followed that study up with one that was looking at different ripening times because some of the research done on these monoterpene alcohols for some other grape varieties. So if you think of a musket, very floral variety. And I should say that these compounds don't actually smell like apricot on their own. It's only when they're mixed together and mixed with all the other wine aroma compounds that are already there that you get this apricot aroma. Otherwise, they smell floral or uh, citrus or pine. They don't actually smell like apricot unless they're in that exact mixture. So during these other research studies on these compounds, they form in the grape at different times. More of them form in the grapes during ripening, and the more ripe they are, the more of these compounds there are. So we did a ripening study with the four clones that are used the most in Australia for Viognier, and worked out that they definitely do increase dramatically near the end of ripening so we then followed that study up with a winemaking study looking at two clones in two sites 
at two ripening points, so two weeks before we thought commercial harvest would be and then at commercial harvest, just to see what the difference was in the final product because it's all well and good looking at grapes and chemical compounds but we also need to work out what actually happens in the final wine and then of course we also want to confirm that with sensory so that's also been confirmed with sensory so it does seem that if you pick the grapes a bit earlier the wine is still very good but there's less of this apricot character and then also the two sites, one was a cooler climate site and one was a, a warmer climate and there was more of the compounds in the cooler climate. So we try and look at how you could get more or less because it's up to the winery, the winemaker, to know what sort of style of product that they, they want to make and then they can use this information to work out potentially what clones that they might select for the wine and when to pick. It's incredibly detailed work, Tracy Seabird, but most PhDs generally are. Yes. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time today in joining me in the AWRI podcast studio. You're most welcome, Drew. The AWRI Decanted podcast is supported by Australia's grape growers and winemakers through their investment agency, Wine Australia, with matching funds from the Australian government.